0: Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Brayman. This week, we're talking about the National Ending the HIV Epidemic Summit, which is going on right now, and some of the projects that we at the Northeast Caribbean ATC are spearheading in this initiative. Here to discuss that and more is Karen McKinnon, She's a research scientist at the New York State Psychiatric Institute at Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons, and the Director of Columbia HIV Behavioral Health Training for NECAATC. Welcome, Karen.
1: Thanks, it's great to be here with you. So
0: Karen, what is the National Ending the HIV Epidemic Summit?
1: So this summit is a two-day meeting, bringing together a huge group of researchers and community partners to talk about how we're doing in our efforts to end the HIV epidemic. So thanks to this initiative called Ending the HIV Epidemic, a plan for America, um, back in 2019, all the CFARs, which are the National Institute of Health-funded Centers for AIDS Research, and the ARCs, the AIDS Research Centers, that is, um, those are funded by NIMH, Um, all of those centers around the country were offered the chance to apply for supplements to their center grants for one year planning projects. And after the first year ended, a small number of two year projects was funded to build on that planning work. So In both cases, it was not a lot of money. You couldn't really pull off a full blown research study with that level of funding for that short a time period. So the message we heard was plan something innovative and we'll fund at full scale whatever seems most promising for ending the HIV epidemic. So um, there's a ton of federal partners who are all the major funders of health services and they were all part of this. NIH, CDC, HRSA, Indian Health Service, SAMHSA, along with um, the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Health. So very high-level folks, um, you know, trying to put um, some resources into a new effort to end HIV. Um, And I'm not really sure how much other HIV centers and AETCs have collaborated in the past, but NECA AETC is co-located with Columbia's HIV center, and we all at AETC have roles in their community and implementation science course. So we brainstormed with our center, um, you know, ideas about where the most obvious gaps in research and practice were. And since the funders were encouraging us to think outside the box, we came up with two proposals, both of which were funded. Um, so one is about integrating behavioral health and HIV and the other is about stigma. So since I'm the director of behavioral health for Nika AETC, I obviously was very excited to be able to explore in a rigorous way and with community partners, these two areas that I know are training sites, you know, whether they're Ryan White sites or FQHCs or CBOs, they really struggle with these um, issues. and. I think many people with mental health and substance use disorders never even get tested for HIV. And that's a problem in and of itself in terms of helping individuals improve their health. But it's also a problem for the public health because people are living with HIV and they don't even know it. And then those who do get tested have and have a positive result, they often don't feel welcome in care settings that are available to them. Or in some cases, staff in those settings are uncomfortable with these clients. You know, so both of those conditions are forms of stigma. One being self-stigma, where you kind of internalize the larger culture's low opinion of yourself based on stigmatized identities, and the other being enacted stigma, where you know, for example, um, staff may blame people who use drugs for their poor health, or may be fearful of people with mental health disorders because they don't fully understand, you know, their thoughts or feelings and behaviors. So even in settings with a lot of behavioral health integration, the siloed systems of care make giving good quality, comprehensive care to people with HIV and behavioral health conditions harder than it needs to be. And we've always found that, you know, training goes a really long way toward developing provider skills in these areas, um, you know, increasing their comfort and reducing stigma once they understand their own assumptions and biases. But even beyond training, you know, the question remains, how can healthcare change its own assumptions and biases? Like that needs to happen at the systems level to be sustainable. So for me, the very cool thing about these supplements is that they were brief projects to plan implementation science studies and all the funded project teams, including, you know, community partners across the country were brought together obviously pre-COVID, um, to learn about implementation science, like everything you'd need to know um, about how to do implementation science, um, in part because it really holds a lot of promise for spanning this chasm between research and practice that we all know exists. and. Um, Believe it or not, it takes an average of 17 years for a research innovation to get into the hands of its intended users, which is ridiculously too long. And of course, publishing an article isn't the same thing as teaching folks how to implement an evidence-based intervention. And that's what AETC's role has traditionally been, I think, to do that translation. But there hasn't always been enough to go on.
0: And what do you see as the reasons for the excitement about implementation science?
1: Well, implementation science is a fairly new framework that tries to really find out what hinders or helps organizations to use evidence-based practices, and also what strategies are best used in which settings to scale up those best practices. So, it's really better grounded in what's happening in real time, in real organizations. And you know, essentially implementation science is the study of methods to promote systematic uptake of these evidence-based practices that we all hear about so often, but rarely get put into routine practice. So I think it's exciting because it's not divorced from the real world context in which people and their healthcare organizations operate. And I think that means the opportunities to improve the quality and effectiveness of health services are specific to what's going on locally and within each unique setting. And the framework really allows you to consider a lot of things like barriers and facilitators to be able to do whatever it is that you're trying to do and to select different ways of using a best practice that fit within your own, you know, context. And then also to explain whether something worked by describing how it worked, how it didn't work, and what the outcomes were for the implementation strategies that were selected. Um, You know, a lot of traditional research really just tries to test for an outcome, and it doesn't really um, tell you a lot about lessons learned, both in terms of things that really were successful and things that really weren't successful so it really is um a sort of if this then this and here's why that's the kind of approach it is and i think that the agencies that we train can really use this approach on their own um you know with a little training to create lasting system changes so it leaves me very optimistic can you tell folks a little bit about how
0: NECA ATC is participating in the National EHE Summit and this federal EHE initiative?
1: Um, sure, we um, have these collaborative teams for the two projects that I told you about already. And um, we submitted these brief recorded descriptions of what we did in those projects. And those are being displayed as kind of video posters. Um, And the point of that is so that the funders and the other project teams from around the country can really see what we've been able to do so far and how we're um, building on what we've done so far into future um, projects that we will propose to do and propose to get funded to do. Um, And then we can also together, I think, kind of discuss how to strengthen what we're doing and what we're learning from what we're doing. Because um, those things don't always happen in these kinds of meetings. It's usually just, boom, here's a presentation. If you're in the audience, you listen, maybe you ask some questions, maybe you challenge somebody about some of their assumptions, but it's kind of a more of a one-way street than this kind of conferences. So that's exciting. And then um, I also feel like, you know, um, It's just been a kind of massive community of practice that we've been part of over um, the past couple of years. It's been this learning process for me personally um, about implementation science and and really just immersing myself in ways that we can work more closely with um, folks in the community to help shape a lot of what's gonna happen in terms of funding, in terms of the research itself that gets done. And so I just see a lot of promise in this approach.
0: So now we're going to hear from the director of NIGA ATC, Daria Bakker-Lattimore, about behavioral health integration into HIV care.
2: In our first supplement, the NIMH-funded HIV Center for Clinical and Behavioral Studies and the hersa funded Northeast Caribbean AIDS Education and Training Center joined forces on the project, integrating behavioral health into HIV prevention and care transforming practice to end the epidemic. I'm Dariy Bakker-Lattimore, and we have a second interlinked project that's being presented by Adam Thompson. Because we will not achieve our end-the-epidemic goals without addressing the significant mental health and substance use conditions of people living with HIV or at risk for acquiring HIV, we partner with key stakeholders in seven high HIV burden areas in New York, New Jersey, and Puerto Rico. Our four aims were to utilize multiple approaches to identify facilitators, barriers, and strategies to behavioral health integration, identify practices, gaps, and opportunities, conduct a systematic literature review of efficacious interventions for integrating behavioral health and HIV services, and end up with an implementation science project that utilizes the best locally defined implementation strategies for integrating behavioral screening, linkage, and treatment into HIV primary care and prevention. Real life intervened, as it always does, and served as a reminder that we can't effectively do our work without awareness of the world in which we are operating. These pressures or realities affect whether and how HIV services are being delivered and on the evolving behavioral health needs of people in HIV care or those trying to access prevention and care services. They also present additional opportunities to break down traditional silos and approaches. Business as usual will not end the epidemic.
0: So, Karen, Daria described how real life intervened while you were working on these projects. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Obviously, coronavirus forced us to move almost everything to virtual platforms, and we had to make that switch without much preparation at all. Um, And you actually were key in helping us get there, Mariana. So that was really awesome but I'm referring not only to how we usually deliver our trainings, but also to how the agencies that come to us for trainings deliver their services. And I'd say we're still trying to figure out how to keep each other engaged and connected. You know, we were all catching up all the time. And in some ways we're still trying to figure out how to keep each other engaged and connected um, so that we can continue training our Care team members can keep providing the services that they know how to do, and they can learn more about how to, you know, do those services really well. Um, we also know that there was a lot of increased distress because of COVID, and we needed to address that for everyone. You know, the providers, the clients, our own team, because we're all affected by the pandemic. And we've basically found that for all the hardships and loss people have been very supportive of of one another and they've gone a long way to um, really keep us all healthy in mind and body and um, to keep HIV clients in care for all of their needs, including behavioral health. So that was COVID. Um, We also wanted to help organizations respond to the need for racial equity and to actively work against facial injustice because we hit a critical moment in our social conscience and we needed to have difficult dialogues and create opportunities for structural changes within organizations that would lead to lasting changes in how we work with and for each other. And then of course, we also had a very contentious national election, which raised everyone's blood pressure, whatever their political leanings. And also there were the storms that caused disruption to what remained of our Day to day lives and cause lots of damage to infrastructure. The 2020 Atlantic hurricane season was the most active on record. um, And we have partners in Puerto Rico and the US Virgin Islands who still hadn't completely rebuilt from the devastation of Maria and Irma in 2017. And every hurricane season for them, there's a lot of triggering that happens. you know, because there was a lot of trauma out of um, losing life and losing everything else that people had. Um, And they had barely begun to sort of reconstruct that infrastructure. And then, you know, clinics got blown down again, and roads were blocked, and people lost electricity, and their internet connections, and all of that needed to be rebuilt yet again. So, Through all of this adversity, we really tried to find opportunities to fix what had been broken prior to these recent pressures that were weighing down our ability to do our jobs, all of us, and also for us to break down silos between fragmented care systems, you know, that has always been a major priority for us, but we tried to sort of flip the negative to the positive and really just look for opportunities to make some major changes in what was going on.
0: Yeah, we were certainly dealing with quite a lot over the past year. Um, So next we'll hear from Adam Thompson, our regional partner director at the South Jersey AIDS Education and Training Center about the next project that NECA AETC created.
3: For our second project, our team joined forces with NJBHIP, a four-year behavioral health and HIV primary care integration project funded by the New Jersey Department of Health to apply the Institute for Healthcare Improvement Model to use a learning collaborative process across 19 sites to enhance behavioral health and HIV integration in Ryan White's settings statewide in New Jersey. More about New Jersey BHIP in a moment. Among the participating sites in that project four are located in Essex County, which is one of the federal ending the HIV epidemic counties. Although this new project focuses on four Essex County sites with our jurisdictional partner, the Newark EMA, the other jurisdictional partners are still involved as an advisory board, sounding board, and possibly future implementation partners based on lessons learned from New Jersey BHIP. In New Jersey BHIP, We are attempting to accomplish integration defined as improved screening, referral, and treatment of behavioral health conditions within HIV care settings to improve every stage of the combined HIV and behavioral health continuum. This statewide effort to create a lasting system change is in its final year. New Jersey BHIP did not originally utilize an implementation science framework But through the federal EHE initiative, we have the opportunity to do so with four sites in one of the high-need counties. Again, our aims for this new project are focused on the four NJBHIP sites in Essex County. But we are using an implementation science lens to evaluate data collected through the NJBHIP project over the past four years, and new data we will collect from the four sites to address these aims including an examination of COVID's impact on integration through the use of telehealth. We believe that what we learn will be a strong foundation for future possible scale up of BHIP across our original seven jurisdictions.
0: So Karen, Adam described Nika ATC's experience with NJBHIP. What's the combined HIV and behavioral health continuum?
1: Right. So- for NJBHIP, we started like many other programs do. You know, we identified a problem and a system-wide need and we proposed how to address it using the evidence we had, which was honestly just still insufficient to scale up some packaged intervention. So um, we used the Institute for Healthcare Improvements model that focuses on quality improvement through mostly PDSA cycles. You know, those are plan, do, study, act cycles um, over this whole four-year period that we worked on NJB hip and we had to create this combined continuum in order to focus on what we could change with and within Ryan white organizations statewide so, We really focused on the usual bars of the HIV care continuum and linked those to a similar behavioral health continuum that we just sort of devised. um, So we could build sites capacity for screening, referral, and treatment of behavioral health conditions. And we emphasized screening with validated tools. Um, So everyone was using the PHQ-9 for depression. That's part of the patient health questionnaire. And then we recommended also the TAPS tool um, that stands for tobacco, alcohol, prescription, medication, and other substance use. Um, And that was developed by NIDA for substance use disorder screening. And then we also worked with sites which, um, you know, were a learning collaborative, basically. And we enhanced the collaborative with practice facilitation coaching, which we do a lot of at AETC. And we looked at um, also informal community-based and specialty behavioral health needs of clients in these sites to better support referrals and communication and streamline processes between systems of care or support, because there's a lot of, um, you know, need for skill that doesn't necessarily happen all in the one-stop shopping model so you often have to refer out and have folks come back to you after having received some treatment for behavioral health conditions which maybe is a total black box situation for you so that you know bi-directional communication we felt was really important to focus on and then we also worked with the sites to bolster how they Documented behavioral health treatment for their clients so that medications and appointments could best be coordinated. And ultimately, you know, what we're working on right now is evaluating the whole program to learn how all this effort, all the task shifting, all the focus on improving behavioral health care in these HIV settings really impacted client health, including viral suppression rates. So without the combined continuum, it really would have been pretty overwhelming, I think, to conceptualize all the possible things these HIV sites could do about behavioral health to improve, you know, the care that they provide.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it was critical um, to the project. So finally, the last project we're going to explore is the video poster that you presented at the summit. So let's take a listen.
1: I'm Karen McKinnon, and I'm proud to be introducing you to the Stigma and Resilience Project, which began in 2019. Our team is from the HIV Center for Clinical and Behavioral Studies and the Northeast Caribbean AIDS Education and Training Center, both based at Columbia, and the New York City Health Department. Our project addresses stigma because in New York City, stigma interferes with access to prevention and care, but is not adequately addressed. There's a lot of uncertainty about what works to eliminate stigma. We've had many programs and initiatives, but little evaluation. Even organizations leading the field in eliminating stigma believe they can do better. And we believe that implementation science creates an opportunity for sharing and refining best practices. We focus on intersectional stigma. There is a growing interest in intersectionality, which is to say looking at stigma associated not only with HIV, but also with substance use, mental health, demographic characteristics and identities. But as yet, we don't have best practices to address this. Our star coalition brings together the groups and individuals in New York City that want to address stigma in one unified effort. We built this coalition to bring many voices to the table, and we may end up with multiple implementation science projects as a result of the array of voices that we've been hearing from. We've also been able to map and assess the evidence-based underlying current stigma reduction activities using surveys and interviews of organizations, and we've analyzed existing data on stigma drivers. We've done the same for resiliency promotion. We've also been able to identify sites where stigma reduction and resiliency promotion interventions are most needed, feasible, and with whom they are best implemented to end the HIV epidemic.
0: So Karen, you talked about the stigma and resilience project. Can you say more about intersectional stigma and what you've learned so far?
1: Well, intersectional stigma is really about the convergence of Multiple stigmatized identities, and that can happen within a person or a group. And the reason to focus on it is really to learn how to better address their joint effects on health and well being. And looking at intersections of race, class, and gender, and also gender identity is sort of the historical and even theoretical basis for intersectional stigma. But we know that added to that, there is stigma associated with mental health and substance use conditions. And those um, conditions are highly stigmatized and can keep people out of getting the care that they need. So although there's very little consensus on how best to work on intersectional stigma, for example, um, part of our work on this project has been to develop a compendium of interventions to address this very complex issue. There's practically nothing in the literature to guide us But there is consensus that unless we tackle stigma, um, taking into account the whole person we're caring for, we really stand no chance of keeping people in care and supporting them all along that famous HIV care continuum. And um, as Daria said in her presentation, business as usual just isn't gonna end this epidemic.
0: Karen, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us all about these incredible projects all working towards ending the HIV epidemic. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika ATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org That's wwwn ecaaet If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics, you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at NikaATC.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at NikaATC.org. Stay safe and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know.